All that said, welcome to worship at Seattle Mennonite Church. It is always so good to have everyone with us. I, I just see that Beth is saying that chat is not working this morning. Um, I think Megan might be able to fix that. I invite you uh, into, I invite you into worship. Today, we're going to be worshiping idols, or at least we're going to be uh, hearing the scripture in which the Israelites are creating an idol for themselves. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Megan has to say about that later on. This week, as every week, we acknowledge the presence now and into history of the Duwamish people who are the first inhabitants of the land here in Seattle. Last night, they held their annual uh, auction and gala. There were a few of us in from our congregation who attended that auction virtually. They have now uh, raised about $84,000 as of this morning, um, and they increased their goal to $100,000. So if you would still like to participate in the auction, I think it's still open, although when I was Googling this morning, it said that registration was closed. Um, but I think that I think you can still donate and I, Think you can still bid up till the 17th. So if anyone's interested in seeing some of the beautiful artwork and in, and in um, participating in the auction or even just making a donation to help them reach their goal, you can still do that. And I see, I think Megan is posting in the chat about that. Our opening song for this morning is Over My Head and Lauren and Jen are going to lead us in that. Over my head, I hear music in the air. Over my head, I hear music in the air. Over my head, I hear music in the air. There must be a God somewhere. And when the world is silent, I hear music in the air. Oh, when the world is silent, I hear music in the air. And when the world is silent, I hear music in the air. There must be a God somewhere. Over my head, I hear music in the air. Over my head, I hear music in the air. Over my head, I hear music in the air. There must be a God somewhere. And when I'm feeling lonely, I hear music in the air. Oh, when I'm feeling lonely, I hear music in the air. And when I'm feeling lonely, I hear music in the air. There must be a God somewhere. Over my head, I hear music in the air. Over my head, I hear music in the air. I hear music in the air, there must be a God somewhere. Now when I think of Jesus, I hear music in the air. Oh, when I think of Jesus, I hear music in the air. Oh, when I think of Jesus, I hear music in the air. There must be a God somewhere. Over my head, I hear music in the air. Over my head, I hear music in the air. Over my head, 
call to worship that Megan would post in the chat. I will speak the one part and she will speak the all part. <clears throat> when shouts of anger and hostility pound upon our ears. Quiet our hearts, O oh God, to hear your voice. When the arrogance of the world and the carelessness of people threaten to destroy your creation. Help us to be strong in our service of hope and peace. Oh God, hear our voices and our prayers. Be with us as we come to you. Amen. Each week we light our peace candle to acknowledge that we both witness to and participate in God's vision for a just peace for all of creation. Today is National Coming Out Day. And today I pray for our queer kindred who do not feel safe or welcome in being their true selves. I pray in gratitude that this has been a safe and welcoming and affirming community. And in confession for the ways that we have failed to welcome and love each of God's beautiful children fully. I pray that we can continue to move further and further into radical welcoming hospitality. And together we pray, we long for a just peace. We pray for a just peace and we choose to live for a just peace. The peace of Christ be with you and with each of you. <clears throat> uh, our children's time this morning is a book called Ladybug Girl and the Best Ever Playdate. The reason that I chose this book and the thing that we wanna pay attention to in this book is the way that Lulu, also known as Ladybug Girl, how she treats her friend and how she doesn't treat her friend very well. Even though this is a friendship and a, a relationship that she says is important, she decides to make other things more important and pay attention to those things first. And we'll see what happens when instead of paying attention to her friend and that relationship, instead she likes something else a little bit more. <clears throat> if I can get to the first page. Ladybug Girl and the Best Ever Playdate. Will Finny be here soon? Asks Ladybug Girl. She's bringing her Roly-Roo. What's a Roly-Roo? Asks her mama. It's the most amazing toy in the whole world, cried Lulu. You can ride on it. You can talk to it. You can dress it up. You can hide inside it. 
I can't wait to play with it. When Finny arrives from down the street, Lulu rushes past her and gives the Roly-Roo a huge hug. It's even better than she thought it would be. She turns to Finny. Do you want to play in my room with Roly? Sure, Finny agrees. Lulu grabs for Roly-Roo's head, but Finny holds onto it. I'll pull him. He's not used to going to new places, Finny says. Lulu understands. If the Roly-Roo were hers, she'd never let him go. Do you want to play dress up? Finny asks, trying on items that look extra amazing. Okay, it will be fun to dress up, Roly. I've noticed that Lulu is paying a lot of attention to Roly and not so much attention to her friend. And I'm wondering how that is going to make her friend feel. After they are all dressed up, they roll Roly-Roo with everything they'll need for outdoor adventures and pull him outside. I have an idea, Finney says. Let's pretend that we're looking for a lost magical city. I'll stay here with Roly to make our base, Lulu says. Lulu squishes inside the Roly-Roo. It is super cozy. Lulu thinks she could stay here forever. She's startled when Finny cries out, I found it, come and see. But when Lulu sees that the lost, where the lost city is, her heart sinks. I don't think we can go there. It's too bumpy for Roly. Can we play something else? So now I'm really noticing the look on Finny's face. It doesn't feel very good. It looks like she feels angry about the way Lulu has been treating her and paying so much more attention to her toy. Well, okay, what do you want to play? Finny asks. Something with Roly, Lulu says, hopefully. All right, sighs Finny thinking. What if we make believe we're in a rodeo? The two girls hop onto the Roly Roo and begin bouncing up and down. They stand up to show off. They're trick riding when suddenly one of the wheels starts to wobble and falls off. Lulu and Finny tumble to the ground. Oh no, Roly is broken, Lulu exclaims. Finny looks down at the toy and says, this is not the best playdate. You only wanted to play with Roly, not with me. Lulu is surprised. No, that's not true, she says. I love playing with you. I was just so excited about playing with the Roly-Roo. But now we can't play with him, Finny cries. Lulu and Finny wonder what to do. Lulu picks up the wheel and says, what if we fix it, finishes Finny, picking up the bolt that had come loose. After all, I'm Grasshopper Girl, announces Finny. Yay, says Lulu, I'm Ladybug Girl. Together, they carefully replace the wheel and use a wrench to tighten it. 
we've fixed it, they shout together. Let's see if anyone else needs our help, yells Grasshopper Girl. Definitely, says Ladybug Girl. They zip through the woods and find a perfect place to build a fairy house to keep fairies safe. Soon they come across an old friendly giant. He's a little droopy, so they lend him a hand. Then they blast off into outer space where they find that Saturn's rings are broken. That's no problem for Ladybug Girl and Grasshopper Girl who quickly get them spinning again. Afterward, they decide to draw new planets near Saturn so it will have more friends. When they are done saving everything in the yard, the entire world and even the galaxy, Ladybug Girl and Grasshopper Girl fly up to the top of the hill. They spin in circles until they are too dizzy to stand. Lulu thinks that playing with Rolly was fun, but playing with Finny today was the very most fun she ever had. Should we go check on Rolly? asks Finny. Maybe later, Lulu says. Let's have a superhero tea party instead. And there they are, spending time with each other instead of with a toy that's not the same thing as having a friend. Thank you for listening. Our next song is In the Morning When I Rise. Mm -hmm. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you may have all this world, give me Jesus. Dark midnight was my cry. Dark midnight was my cry. Dark midnight was my cry. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You may have all this world. Give me Jesus. Just about that break of day. Just about that break of day. Just about that break of day. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You may have all this Give me Jesus. Oh, when I come to die. Oh, when I come to die. Oh, when I come to die. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You may have all this world. Give me Jesus.
Our scripture this morning is from Exodus, reading from the Inclusive Bible. Moses was an extremely long time in returning from the mountain. And when the people saw this, they turned to Aaron and said, come and make a God for us, someone who will lead us. We don't know what has happened to that Moses who brought us up from the land of Egypt. Aaron replied, remove the gold earrings you are wearing, wives and husbands, sons and daughters alike, and bring them to me. All the people brought their gold earrings to Aaron. Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and cast it into a mold and made it into a calf, a young bull. Then the people said, Israel, here is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before the idol proclaiming, tomorrow we will have a feast in honor of Yahweh. In the morning, the people rose early, sacrificing burnt offerings and bringing communion offerings. And then they sat down to eat and drink and lost themselves in debauchery. Yahweh said to Moses, go down now. These people who you led out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. In such a short time, they have turned away from the way that I have given them and have made themselves a molten calf. Then they worshiped it and sacrificed to it saying, Israel, here is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Yahweh then said to Moses, I look at these people, how stubborn they are. Now leave me to myself so that my anger may pour out on them and destroy them. But you, I'll make into a great nation. Then Moses soothed the face of Yahweh, his God. But why, my God, should you let your wrath pour out on these people whom you have delivered from Egypt with great might, with a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say, their God intended to destroy them all along, to kill them, kill them in the mountains, to erase them from the earth? Turn your back on your rage. Reconsider the disaster you intended for your people. Do not forget Sarah and Abraham, Rebecca and Isaac, Leah and Rachel and Jacob, your chosen ones to whom you promised. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give to you all this land which I have promised. I will give it to your descendants and they will enjoy its inheritance forever. So Yahweh relented and the disaster that threatened the Israelites was forestalled. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Generally speaking, an untamed God whose 
anger runs hot, as the NRSV states in this story. Generally, a God whose anger burns hot terrifies me, and even if I'm honest, repulses me a little bit. I want, and I claim, a God of love. But when I think, and here I'm going to dive real quick, real fast, um, real deep. When I think, for example, of one who personally harmed me, so the perpetrator or the villain in my Me Too story of sexual assault, when I think of that one, I can get in touch with longing for a God who at least says, oh, hold me back, hold me back. I can get in touch with longing for a God who's angry, who's pissed off on my behalf, who sees with eyes wide open the harm that is caused and whose anger burns hot against the one who has perpetrated that harm. I can pretty quickly get in touch with meeting a God who says, that is not okay. It's not okay. How dare you mistreat and hurt my beloved in that way? When God is angry at the Hebrew people whom God has just liberated from generations of slavery, who in record time construct a golden calf, which is either a false god or a means by which they are worshiping God falsely. Either way, it makes God pretty angry. And when God is angry at the Hebrew people for, you know, in record time, forgetting that God is their liberator from slavery and from Egypt, when God is angry and God's anger burns hot, Moses reminds God that there's another beloved in that sentence. How dare you mistreat my beloved in that way is also directed to a beloved. How dare you, my beloved, treat my other beloved in this way? Moses reminds God that everyone, every last one is a beloved. Moses reminds God and calls God back to that post-flood promise of never again. Never again will I allow my anger at these people to turn into complete destruction. Moses reminds God. But I don't think that that means that God's anger goes away, that it dissipates. It doesn't stop God from being angry. And it certainly doesn't make God's anger wrong. It does cause God to stop short before turning anger into actual punishment or destruction or further harm. It causes God to take a deep breath and let it out with a sigh. (sighs) 
And this makes me think of other villains in my life, other enemies who haven't just caused me personally harm, but even more so those who with even more power have caused even bigger swaths of harm. And yes, I'm gonna name him. Actually, my autocorrect uh, this week changed it to frump when I was writing a text. So maybe I'll just call him frump. I'm pissed at Frump. I don't like, I don't know what to say about his COVID diagnosis and his behavior since, but I'm angry. I'm angry. I don't, and, and, and again, especially in my role as pastor in this community, I don't know what to say in worship about Frump. Um, but I think that God's angry too. I do. I think God's anger burns hot whenever we cause or are complicit in the harm of God's beloveds. Tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples Day. I think that God was, is angry at my Christian forebears who so completely distorted their faith by taking some of the, the, the treasures of our faith, our Christian faith, taking some of those treasures and distorting them and weaponizing them into a money grab, a power grab, a land grab, by constructing this doctrine of discovery that allowed them to do that, feeling vindicated in their faith. I think that God's anger burned hot then and burns hot still when we cause that sort of harm to God's beloveds. So I started all this by saying, I want a God of love. I've always claimed and longed for and prioritized a God of love. And I, as I confront this God of anger, um, what becomes clear to me is that God, a God of love is not to be mistaken for a God of detached and calm civility. Love is not civility. Part of how I got there was um, connecting with a, a colleague friend, um, uh, Melissa Floor Bixler. Some of you may know her from her writings. She's a Mennonite pastor at Raleigh Mennonite Church, and she is um, writing her second book right now. She's been working on it, um, and she keeps calling it the enemy book. I don't know if it has another title or not, but she's calling it the enemy. She's writing a book about enemies, um, and this week she posted an excerpt um, from her enemy book specifically about praying for our enemies, like Frump and others, how do we pray for enemies? And she was reflecting on the, the Psalms, the Psalms that get really angry and vengeful that we kind of don't know what to do with. And this is what she writes. I've heard Christians confront the ethical question of the Psalms of vengeance in our pulpits in our congregations and in our mouths as anxiety over enemies, fear over what could happen with our rage and our anger. I'm going to pause here to say I so resonate with this. I've done this in, for myself, and I've probably done this um, in church with y'all. Um, when I get uncomfortable with a psalm, beating babies' heads against the stones, for example, that's one of the worst of them. Um, 
I, I, I get concerned about what can our anger turn into? We don't want our anger to turn into something that's destructive and violent. And so I wanna make sure that our anger does stay in check. But Melissa carries on, she says, my concern moves in the opposite direction with the cool and collected roadmap of civility denies those who have experienced trauma the space for public expression of that anger, to let that anger linger in the air as palpable discomfort for the powerful. Such a helpful turning on the head to think about what is the danger in, um, in moving towards civility and not allowing the anger to linger in the air, to disquiet the powerful, to disrupt the powerful, to make the powerful feel uncomfortable. Might that be one of the things of our faith that we can claim is that there should be space for that anger to, of a traumatized people to be expressed and to be held without trying to calm it or dissuade it or quiet it. What if the anger isn't the problem? This week, I shared with some of you who are musicians uh, this, this essay about um, an African-American spiritual, something in our Sing the Journey songbook that we often sing. It's a favorite, welcome table. Um, and we sing it like this. We sing, uh, you've got a place at the welcome table. You've got a place at the welcome table some of these days, hallelujah. And Shannon Dykus, who we got to hear preach, this summer. So um, some of you were here for that, for our listening and learning series. Shannon Dykus worked with the hymnal committee and helped them to uncover some of the history of this African-American spiritual and the way it had, who knew, been co-opted um, and changed by white communities. So the first recording of this African-American spiritual had these verses. I'm gonna eat at the welcome table. So a claiming of place at the table, I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna shake glad hands with Jesus. God's gonna set this world on fire. God's gonna set this world on fire. That's the that original lyrics of this spiritual. I'm going to walk and talk with Jesus. I'm going to drink at the crystal fountain. And I'm back to again, I'm going to eat at the welcome table. And you can hear the longings for justice in some of these verses. Um, it's interesting that in a, in a publication soon after that, in the 1930s, they added the verse, I'm going to tell God how you treat me. I'm going to tell God how you treat me. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> And then during the civil rights movement, it got real specific and folks started adding verses like, I'm gonna sit at the Woolworth counter. I'm gonna sit at the Woolworth counter as they were integrating businesses. So Shannon Dykus flagged this for our hymnal committee saying, when Alice Parker, a, a, a beloved, wonderful, a white composer and arranger took this spiritual and changed it from I'm going to eat at the welcome table to you've got a place at the welcome table. She intended 
it to be a message of inclusion. You've got a place, everybody's got a place. But part of the problem with that shift is that it causes one group or person to, um, to, to have the power to allow another a place at the table. So it's the same problem as tolerance. If tolerance is our goal, then we've got one group who's tolerating another. So we retain the power structure. When you've got a place at the welcome table, when I say that to you, well, I then have somehow claimed the power to determine who's got a place at the table and who doesn't. I'm gonna eat at the welcome table is a way of claiming space. Singing welcome is important, Shannon Dykus and our hymnal editors write. Singing welcome is important, but misrepresenting this song does not reach this goal. It both undermines the call for justice and erases the vision and voice of those proclaiming God's welcome. They then named that, that the changing in those lyrics has caused harm to black Mennonites specifically. Um, and in our new hymnal, we're going back to some of those old original lyrics, which is really exciting. And we're gonna have essays like this one helping us to understand um, the decisions the hymnal committee has made. The God of love is not to be mistaken with a God of civility, but a passionate God. A God of love is a God of passion who longs for justice, who might just set this world on fire. A God who says, get out of my way and leave me be as I just rain down some wrath on these jerks who are causing harm to my beloveds. <sighs> and then a God who is reminded of God's own covenant and promise and ultimately relents from allowing that anger to become destruction and punishment, remembering that the jerks are also beloveds. A God who is no less angry when we cause harm to one another, when we beloved jerks cause harm to other beloveds. And I say that intentionally, we beloved jerks, because when I start preaching a sermon and I'm identifying with God the whole way through, then I need to remember <laughs> how often I'm one of the beloved jerks, or at least complicit in the harm that is caused to God's beloveds. Before I wrap this sermon for this morning, I want to say one more word on behalf of the Hebrew people, because we haven't even really given them a fair shot. God is angry, yes. With good reason, yes. They've just been liberated from slavery and just like that, they are worshiping a false God. But I do think it's important to remember that this is a people who was traumatized by generations of slavery. Traumatized. And they just experienced liberation, yes, but in a very traumatic way with their pursuers being drowned in the river watching all that death and destruction in their wake. And then they're deposited in the middle of the desert to just, what, wait? Moses is all they have. They've been completely uprooted and destabilized. Moses is all they have. And then Moses goes off to hang out with God on the mountaintop, leaving them all alone. And he just disappears. I can imagine their anxiety just through the roof. I mean, I think about my own anxiety in the midst of this pandemic. And I still have a roof over my head and a job. I've got an incredible amount of stability despite it all. So this was a traumatized people. 
I can have compassion for these people. I think then that our Hebrew forebears, they told a pretty real tale. They told a pretty real tale of the muck and the messiness of relationship. They told a pretty real tale that's um, pretty identifiable when I really think about it. A tale of trauma, a tale of messing up, a tale of causing harm to God and to one another, a tale of anger when harm is caused, a tale of remembering belovedness, of relenting from punishment, but anger still. A tale of remembering that everyone, every last one, is a beloved of our God of love, a God of a passionate love. It's the God uh, around whom I am so glad to gather and in whose name I am glad to gather with all of you. May the God of passionate love be fierce in helping us to also call, um, respond to the call to love all of God's beloveds. May it be so. We'll be singing There's a Wideness in God's Mercy to the tune of Let Me Be Your Servant. You can see the words in the chat box. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There is mercy in God's justice that is more than liberty. But we make God's love too narrow by false limits of our own. And we magnify its strictness with a seal God will not own. For the love of God is broader than the measures of the mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderful, kind. If our love were but more simple, we should rest upon God's work, and our lives would be illumined by the presence of our Lord. And continuing now in prayer inviting those of you who have prayers for the community. I welcome those into the chat and I will include them. Let's take a breath. Gratitude for how the spirit has come to us today in prophetic message and prayer and community. Merciful God, your love for us 
makes us bold to join our prayers with all who need your help. We bring our prayers to you. For those who suffer pain, for those who struggle with limits of body and soul, for those who are surviving with less than the life for which they were created. For those who feel shame and guilt and long for release and repair, for those whose life is near its end and for those who cannot wait to pass. We pray this morning with Christian peacemaker teams, we pray with those at our southern border, our prayers are not only on that border wall to come down, but also the walls within our hearts and minds that make such horrific lethal architecture possible. We pray for those desperately seeking safety by walking through the desert, especially children unaccompanied and vulnerable. We give thanks for the residents at the Buenos Aires National Wildlife Refuge who continue to stand in witness and resistance to the expansion of the wall in that place. We pray for families in our congregation and everywhere who are juggling work and parenting, school and other responsibilities and who are weary. Give them strength for this long journey and compassion for themselves and each other. We pray with joy and delight, celebrating with the shavers as they anticipate a grandchild, a child to Aaron and Margaret in February. And we celebrate seeing and delighting also in the presence and naming of Emily and Chase's beloved Helen Hope Snyder Miller. We pray with Rebecca and Adam this morning for stamina and patience through demo and remodel after a major washing machine flood. And gratitude to Melissa who found the massive leak while taking care of Boaz. Mm -hmm. We offer up prayers for Elizabeth this morning who woke up not feeling well, has gone to the clinic to be checked out. Pray for her peace and her strength. We offer up prayers also for winter shelter participants and staff who are anticipating starting up our winter shelter at Lake City Prez on Tuesday. Give all who are responsible for pulling that together strength and a compassionate heart to welcome people who are vulnerable and hurting and traumatized. I wanna lift up the work of Sarah Augustine and her team at the Dispute Resolution Center in Yakima, who have rolled out three new initiatives this month and in particular, a partnership with Yakima police in addressing gang activity and violence in their community. Pray for their wisdom as they find a way towards peacemaking and reconciliation in violent circumstances. We remember friends and family and those in our congregation who are connected to Canadian uh, celebration of Thanksgiving this weekend, uh, remembering those in the North who are gathering in limited ways uh, this weekend with COVID second wave in motion in their communities. Now the chat box.
praying with Zach and Caitlin. Zach's requesting prayer for his grandfather who's in hospice. Praying for the community of Yakima. Praying with Beth for ingratitude for the life of her mom, Helene Miller, who was remembered during a virtual memorial yesterday. Despite her longing to be physically present with her beloveds, it was meaningful and rich to gather with friends from around the world to celebrate and honor her life. I'm praying with Anna Elena for her sister, Myra, who will have three more radiation treatments to reduce her benign tumor this week. May no side effects be felt. Praying with Sabrina and Dave Thanksgiving for the decision this week in Syracuse, New York to remove the Columbus statue from the city center. That has been a collective work. And praying with the community in the Yakima Valley that suffers from soaring rates of gun violence, the economy depending on the exploitation of undocumented people and the theft of land from the Yakima people. May peace include attention to the structures that created violence to flourish. And from the company of Helen and Hope, gratitude for the flood of support from this congregation as they continue to usher Helen into the outside world. Gratitude with you. Come, redeeming God, <clears throat> take all these sufferings upon yourself and transform them. Be merciful also to us who offer these prayers so that we might enter the suffering of others and become agents of your healing love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We continue our worship in a spirit of prayer as we bless our giving, continuing to be grateful that we have the means to collect our offerings digitally and that we can continue the work and ministry of our congregation in this way. Today, I'm especially giving thanks, uh, mentioning again the, the, Duwamish Gala, the Duwamish Gala that was held yesterday and the work that they do. They are one of our partner givers through Just Peace Council. And so we hold up in gratitude our partnership with them and bless all of the funds that they're gathering that that those funds could be used to do the work of justice and supporting their tribe. Our closing song for our worship today is The Lord is My Light, and Lauren will lead us. And this really, this really needs Joanne's piano, not my guitar, but we'll just have to pretend to imagine the, imagine the piano and a good bass in the background here instead. The Lord is My Light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? Who shall I fear? Shall I be? The Lord is 
shall I be in the time of trouble? He shall find me, oh, in the time of trouble. He shall find me, oh, in the time of trouble. He shall find me, whom shall I be? Whom shall I be? When your anger burns hot, go ready to transform that anger into action. Go with love that is not civil, but is serious. Let your anger disquiet and disrupt your own power and that of others, so that with God we can set this world on fire for love and justice. May it be so. Amen.